Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Charles Spurgeon, speaking on the topic of of humility, tells this story. I've heard of a certain monk who, professing to be humble, said he had broken all of God's commandments. He was the greatest sinner in the world, he said. He was as bad as Judas. And then someone said, why tell us that? We have all of us thought that a long time. Right away, the holy man grew red in the face, and he hit the accuser and asked him what he had ever done to deserve such a speech. Ouch. Have you ever experienced a moment like that or a person like that? Spurgeon continues, We know some of that kind. They will use the words of humility to appear very contrite, and perhaps even at prayer meetings you would think them the meekest and most brokenhearted of men, but that is not humility. It is a kind of mock modesty that hankers after applause. William Sloan Coffin says this, There is no no smaller package in the world than a man wrapped up in himself. Augustine of Hippo says this, If you ask me what is the first precept of the Christian religion, I will answer first, second, and third, humility. The humble life is elusive for many of us, yet God calls us to live humbly. This is something that each believer should strive for. All too often, people shy away from talking about humility as to avoid that sort of false humility we saw in that monk earlier. If we refuse to talk about humility, we cannot do anything about it. So no more excuses. We might laugh and chuckle about saying out loud that we're humble. We really shouldn't say we're humble. But we must actively pursue humbleness and encourage one another in humility. Every Christian is called by God to embody humility. In humbleness, we find access to eternal life, and through humbleness, we can bring our loved ones to the threshold of redemption. Today, we are going to look at several passages of Scripture, but we will start where we've been for the last several weeks in the book of James. James is writing to a group of Christians, and he is writing to them now about their guilt and showing favoritism, about the sin they share between one another. They've struggled to care for the poor, and they have in their moments of experiencing persecution become bitter. Near the end of his letter, he calls them to repentance, but he doesn't use the word repentance. Instead, he uses the word humble. Only in humility can we come to a place of true repentance. Let's read the text in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Well, since we're talking about humility, being humble, let's take a few minutes and define the word humble. What comes to your mind when you hear the word humble? Perhaps you think of serving others. Some of you might think of Jesus, the man. A lot of people in our world today see humbleness as actually weakness. Our society seems to value men and women who can go out and grab life by the horns and leave their mark on the world. 
And unfortunately, our world does not associate that history-making sort of personality, that sort of greatness with the word humble. Let's look at some definitions of humble. I thought it'd be interesting, as I was getting ready for this lesson, to to go to Merriam-Webster's online dictionary to get a sense of the current use of the word humble. I was a little surprised by what I found. Can you hear the pattern? The first entry when you go to their website is the essential meaning section. It's a quick, quick summary of what this word means, and that's what they want you to catch first. And here's what I found and read. Humble is, well... Not proud. Not thinking of yourself as better than other people. Giving or said in something given or said in a way that shows you do not think you're better than other people. Showing that you do not think of yourself as better than other people. That is quite a pattern, is it? Not thinking you are better than other people. That is certainly part of being humble, but I think it's missing something. So then I thought, well, let's see what an earlier version of Webster's Dictionary might say. So I went to the 1828 version, and it said this for humble. That is, first, low, opposed to being high or lofty. Secondly, it said low, as opposed to being lofty or great. Thirdly, it says low, as in modest, meek, submissive, opposed to proud, haughty, arrogant, or assuming, and then gave the example of, in the evangelical sense, having a low opinion of oneself and a deep sense of unworthiness in the sight of God. And then it gave a verb definition. To abase, to reduce to a low state, to make humble or lowly in mind. That's a difference. A big difference. Today's version from Webster starts with not thinking you're better than others. In 1828, the concern was about being low. That really is a difference. We can think too highly of ourselves and still see each other as equals, but that is not seeing ourselves and others as low. In the New Testament, we find the word tapenos, and it's most it's the word that most often shows up and we use and understand as humble. It indicates being of low social status, being undistinguished or of no account. It is also used to describe being subservient or unpretentious, and its verb form, tepinao, most often describes to be caused to be lowered or to cause someone to lose prestige. And that is far different from not thinking you're better than other people. Biblical humbleness has to do with lowering oneself or being lowered. Scott McKnight describes humility this way, Genuine humility is profoundly theological because it is a proper recognition of one's place in this world before the Creator, the holy, loving God. And so we must lower ourselves accordingly before God. Romans 12.3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We lower ourselves, but that does not mean we devalue ourselves. Timothy Keller says this, The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued 
value that Je- valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. So humility is a lowering of ourselves before God and among others. And so we might ask, well, what's the benefit of humility? Well, it opens us up to serving God. It softens the conflict between us and others. But something else here. Repentance requires humbleness. For us people, humility is at the core of repentance. Andrew Murray, in his book on humility, describes humility as the place of entire dependence upon God. And to be in a place where we can, can confess our sin and brokenness, we need to be able to move our trust from depending on ourselves to depending on God. So access to eternity requires humbleness. Humility's opposite, well, it's pride. And that will lead to, well, the, <laughs> the difficulty in repentance. Take a moment and think of how you would define pride. Certainly, it's an attitude of self-importance. It's never admitting need or wrong, and so that's what makes repentance impossible in pride. Andrew Murray contends that pride is the loss of humility. It's the root of every sin and evil. Think of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and eating from the tree. Uh, They didn't do it from... Well, they didn't eat from that tree out of humility. They ate from that tree wanting to be like God. And I'm pretty sure if we were to think about Satan falling from heaven, it's not because he was a humble angel. He wanted to take God's place. There was pride. In the same way, having a relationship with God requires humbleness. You cannot call Jesus your Lord if you are unwilling to lower yourself and see your sin for what it really is. This is why being humble is a serious business. Let's talk about choosing humbleness. Have you ever had a moment when you were humbled against your will? Those are tough moments. I seem to be having a recurring theme happening lately for me. Uh, in the Walker household, we put away all TVs and video games to try to start the school year well. And we found that during the pandemic, our son, Seth, who's 10 years old, uh, really used screens as an escape and socialization. And, and in some ways, we understand. His circle of friends got a lot smaller lately. But now the school year is in full swing, and away go the screens. And yesterday, Seth was home for for a teacher work day. Uh, Well, Friday he was home for a teacher work day, and he was feeling kind of bored. And he asked if perhaps I would consider getting out the video games. And uh, the answer was, no, we're not doing that yet. Somehow the conversation turned into discussing playing video games with his grandparents. When we go out and have holiday break with Nani and Poppy, with, with Grandma and Grandpa, can, can we have the video games? They like to play video games with me, is what he said. I'm not so sure they like to play video games with him. They like him. They want to be near him. And then he said, but you know what, Dad? They only like the really old games. Really old games? What do you mean by that? You know, the old Mario games. You can just tell they're the really ancient ones on the Switch. And I thought for a moment, those ancient games, huh? those ones that were the video games of my childhood. 
Another time I was having a discussion with some high school teens at our church uh, about how we no longer have a common media culture. And with streaming TV, people have a much more personalized viewing experience. In the days past, the nation had a kind of a a togetherness, a unity in, in what we watched and programming, because we had to watch it when it aired on television. I laughed talking with them, recalling how I got to be the remote control for the television in my household. I had to go up and turn the big dial on the wooden TV, clunk, 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 went the dial, and I had to balance it in the right position to get it to stay. And those high schoolers just laughed at me. And reminded me that that is, in their words, ancient history. Those TVs are from 40 years ago or more. Oh, I'm not that old, am I? In their eyes, I am becoming ancient, or I am already ancient. It was a humbling moment, and one that I did not choose. It's never fun to have those sorts of moments. When it comes to humility, it is better to choose humility than to have it chosen for you. Every person that has ever lived on earth will experience true humility. But the thing is, you can either choose it or have it thrust upon you. The Bible is clear on this, and we quickly see a pattern in Scripture in verses like this. Matthew twenty three twelve says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Luke fourteen eleven says, For whoever uh, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke eighteen fourteen says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And first Peter five six gives the command for the Christian, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. God intends for us to choose humbleness now instead of having no choice later. Humility chosen now is redemptive and it leads to life. Humility forced later when we no longer have a choice. It's just a sad realization that we needed God all along and we refused him and it's too late. So we should seek to live a humble life here and now. But then that might lead us to the question, how do we live a humble life? And what would it look like? Well, I spent some time this last weekend at a men's retreat and that several men in our denomination put together. Uh, the main speaker was Dr. Bill Quigley, and he emphasized just a simple truth, but a very useful truth, that the purpose of the Christian is to be like Jesus. That's what we're to do. Every day, we're to become more like Jesus. And if being like Jesus is the, do- is the job of the Christian, then we should ask how Jesus displayed humility, because we should imitate it if Jesus did it. How did he do it? And Jesus is our blueprint for humility. There is a beautiful text that describes the humility of Jesus. It begins with the Apostle Paul giving directives about how Christians should treat each other. He gives commands about humbleness, but then he shares a portion of what the Bible of what Bible scholars think is an early hymn of the church describing the humbleness of Jesus. So hear the words from Philippians chapter two, verses three through eleven. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself himself. 
By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God was highly exalted. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of, the, of God the Father." I have the NIV text in my mind calling Christians to have the same mindset of Christ. What is the mindset of Christ? Paul is telling us that our conduct toward one another should mimic Jesus. It should be shaped like Jesus. And true humbleness is found in the humility of Jesus. And so, in Philippians chapter 2, there are four things I want to highlight about the humility of Jesus that we should have in our lives if we want to be humble. And the first thing is this, Jesus understood his identity, and it was his identity as uh, given to him by the Father. Jesus knows exactly who he is. He is God, yet he's also the Son. That confidence in knowing exactly who he is allows Jesus to lower himself without losing himself or debasing himself. Jesus' earthly ministry was carried out on his understanding of who he was as God's son. Imagine if Jesus based his ministry on what others around him thought about him, about the earthly opinions of Jesus. The Roman world would not expect much from an, from the influence of a Jewish carpenter. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they saw Jesus as a troublemaker, a disruptor of the peace. And he was always stirring up the Romans and getting the Romans angry at the Israelites. The disciples, for all their moments of brilliance, they were ultimately clueless about the cross and the real redemptive work of Jesus. Jesus' earthly ministry was based entirely on his identity and the Father's plan, not on the words of the crowd. So then we should ask ourselves a question. Do we live according to what others think of us or according to God's description of us? Because that makes a big difference. God says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 138, verses 13 and 14. We're told that we are made in God's image in Genesis chapter 1, 27. We are told that we are God's handiwork in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And yes, for all the wonder that is in us, we are also told that we are sinners, Romans 3, 23. We are a mixture of wonder and awfulness. We need to understand both of those things to be able to step into humbleness because we need to know that we are the precious children of God and we need to know that we have a desperate need for God's forgiveness. Eugene Peterson says this, my my identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think about myself and it is what God thinks of me. So I ask you the question, will you start by living by who God says you are? Will you start living by who God says you are? That is a step into the humble life. The second thing that Jesus did in his humbleness to model humility for us is he was willing to lower himself. Because Jesus understood his identity, he was able to lower himself. Philippians 2 gives us an ever-growing sequence of Jesus lowering, lowering himself. And I think you can hear the steps. He says equality with God was not to be grasped, even though he was God. He emptied himself. He became a servant. 
He became human. He became obedient. He submitted to death, and not just death, one step lower, he submitted to a humiliating death on a cross. He starts as Jesus in very nature God, and then lowered and emptied himself to the lowest point possible. Are we willing to lower ourselves? What would be the purpose of lowering ourselves? When we lower ourselves, we are able to reach out to others. One of the best stories of humility is that of a man who arrived in 1953 at the Chicago Railroad Station to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. He stepped off the train, a tall man with bushy hair and a big mustache. As the cameras flashed and the city officials approached with hands outstretched to meet him, he thanked them politely. Then he asked to be excused for a minute. He walked through the crowd to the side of an elderly black woman struggling with two large suitcases. He picked them up, smiled, and escorted her to the bus, and he helped her get on and wished her a safe journey. Then Albert Schweitzer turned around to the crowd and apologized for keeping them waiting. It is reported that one member of the reception committee told, the, told a reporter, that's the first time I've ever seen a sermon walking. Hmm. A sermon walking. That's what it means to lower ourselves. We have become a sermon that is walking, living. Our actions reflect humbleness and then reflect Christ. This text takes us, uh, this text in Philippians, it takes us to Jesus, lowering himself all the way down, and then it elevates him back up very quickly. But we need to stay a moment at the cross, even death on a cross. This is where the power of humility is truly revealed, because that's the third part of Jesus's humbleness. Jesus humbled himself to bring redemption to us. Every step of Jesus humbling himself and lowering, lowering himself was for the purpose of bringing redemption to you and me. That is why Jesus' humbling ends at the cross, a place of sacrifice, a place of redemption. I want to share some words by C.S. Lewis that he writes about the inner incarnation. And it's a little bit long, but such a beautiful picture a picture of Jesus, and then a picture that we can then begin to apply to the type of humility that we show. And so C.S. Lewis writes these words. We catch sight of a new key principle, the power of the higher, just insofar as it is truly higher, to come down the power of the greater to include the less. Everywhere the greater enters the little, its power to do so is almost the test of its greatness. In the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still, if embryologists are right, to recapitulate in the womb ancient and prehuman phases of life, down to the very roots and the seabed of nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanishing, rushing down through the green and warm water into the black and cold water, down through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then up again, back to the color and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding his hand the dripping, precious thing that he went to recover." His humility had redemptive purpose, and our humbleness should have a redemptive purpose. 
When we hear a call to humility, we should picture ourselves as divers, putting ourselves through immense rigors and trials to bring up precious treasure. And that treasure should be the people in our lives, those we love, our spouse, our parents, our children, our neighbors. It really should be for everyone we encounter. We lower ourselves with the purpose of bringing the best for others. And that is not weakness. That is strength. One of the best ways to lower yourself to bring redemption, to bring people into an opportunity of redemption, to know Jesus, is to take the effort to get into the world of those you love. My grandfather had a talent for this. He took special interest in each person in the family. He would invest in activities that maybe he was not interested in, but were special to others. He took my mom to see the ponies at the county fair. She desperately wanted to own one, and this is the closest he could bring her to making that dream come true. He took my older cousin on shopping trips to the mall. He didn't really like going to the mall, but he loved her. My younger cousin, he took him to Ninja Turtles on Ice. I guarantee you my grandfather wasn't excited about Ninja Turtles on Ice. He was excited about my cousin. For me, it was many things, but one I appreciate a lot more and more over the years was that when I became interested in the history of World War II, my grandpa ordered his service medals because he served in World War II. He was proud to serve his country, but he didn't really care to relive his memories of the war. That is, until it meant that he had an opportunity to enter into his grandson's life. Each time my grandpa entered into our world, doing things that he would normally never do on his own, he showed us deep love, and he earned the ability to speak into our lives and share the love of Jesus with us. So take a moment and think of the people you want to share Jesus with the most. Is there something you can do to bless them, to serve them, to enter into their world in the hopes of bringing them up to the threshold of heaven? Remember this. A redeemer wants to wants the best for those around them. A condemner Those around them are never good enough. What's the message that you're sending to the people in your life? That they're never good enough or that you want the best for them? The fourth and final part of the humbleness that Jesus modeled for us is this. Jesus lets God the Father do the exalting. Jesus is humbled and he's lifted on high, but he doesn't lift himself. He lets the Father do that. He lets the Father exalt him and give him praise. And in our own lives, we need to let God be the director of praise. That is the humility that Jesus has laid out for us to imitate. He knows his identity. He's willing to lower himself. His lowering himself, his humility is redemptive. And he lets the Father do the exalting. We have in Jesus a great example of humbleness. And the humble Christian of God is strong, competent, certain of their duty in Christ and the promise of heaven. They're confident in the Lord. The humble Christian submits to God's call, appropriately responding to the situations of life. They decrease so that the greatness of God can be seen and their children can thrive. They work to bring redemption to others around them. So God's calling us to a humble life. Will you choose to live imitating the humility of Jesus? It's not easy. It involves willingly lowering ourselves. But such a humbleness is the way to life. Augustine of Hippo says this, one last quote, Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundation of humility. Let us pray.
Lord, we hear your call for us to be humble, to be a humble people. Help us to see clearly who we are and our true position before you. You are, um, you are almighty and we are limited. You are the creator and we are creatures. You are Lord and we are your subjects. You are holy and we are sinners in need of your forgiveness. Lord, help us to model the humility of Jesus, that we would be sure of who you say we are, that we would be willing to lower ourselves to bring the gospel to others. Father, we give you glory, praise, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go with Jesus.